This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is Julian Birkinshaw, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? So I'm a professor at London Business School, and I've been there for 15 years. And like many professors, I I mix my time between teaching, consulting with companies, and then doing my research, which, of course, is the the real reason I got into it in the first place. And my research is uh, essentially about how to help particularly large organizations become better managed, better organized, and more well-equipped for the future. Uh, fantastic. And you re- really are, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today because you really are someone that is standing in the gap between the practitioners and the scholars and really uh, working to kind of build the collaboration between the two. You've worked with a lot of multinational organizations uh, as, as well as published a lot of stuff in scholarly and even scholarly practitioner journals and numerous books. The, the most recent one being Becoming a Better Boss, Why Management is So Difficult. And I think this is a, a book whose time has come because I, I think we're at this standpoint, especially in the uh, the overhype on leadership, that we neglect its its counterpart, and both are necessary, and that's management. And management still matters significantly, and I, I love that even the book opens up with that, and so I'll, I'll posit that as the first question. Why does management still matter? Yeah, so uh, there's been a lot of, as you say, there's a lot of talk over the years about management versus leadership, and clearly that the balance of of interest in the last 20 years really has shifted all the way towards leadership, almost the complete exclusion of management. And and for me, it's quite straightforward. Leadership is a is a process of social influence. You know, leadership is about the, the traits or behaviors we exhibit that cause others to follow us. Management is about getting work done through others, uh, with the emphasis really on the word done. And you know, any executive, really at any level at all, if you think about it, it has to be able to do both of those things. They have to be able to lead, but they also have to be able to manage. So in some ways, it's a false dichotomy. Uh, and my personal kind of crusade here is to bring management back onto an equal footing with leadership. I, I, I've got, I won't have a word, bad word to say about leadership, but we, we must, must not lose the management part of every executive's job. I I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, just the other day I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine who is in uh, a a doctorate in leadership program, but yet he finds himself reading a lot of Peter Drucker, et cetera. And he was talking about how uh, Drucker sort of was one of the first people that elevated management as a thing to strive for. And it's interesting now that we have so many people elevating leadership as a thing to strive for. We we forget about the need um, to elevate management almost uh, to a – as uh, as much of a calling as sort of leadership is. Uh, interestingly, though, I think in leadership, if it's boiled down to influence and movement, there's a there's a lot of motivation that's involved in it. Management, I think, is a little more difficult. It's 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 a lot harder to get right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So, and of course, there was there's, there's aspects of of the job which we could put into either the leadership or the management bucket. I mean, the way I think about it is. If management's about getting getting things done through people, uh, there's there's stuff about uh, the how in terms of how we coordinate activities, how we make decisions, and so forth. But there is also stuff about the kind of the you know about the way that which we do it by motivating people and by setting direction. Uh, and and for me, all of those things together 
go under the, the broad category we're calling management. And, and my, my personal view is that there's a great deal of bad management out there. And sometimes that's down to individuals who just won't cut out for the job. And sometimes it's actually down to the systems and organizations we create, which actually make it very difficult for even well-intentioned people to do it well. So, and that's a that's a great distinction. And so, what is then? What does good management look like? And and why beyond the organization? Why is it so difficult uh, a thing to achieve? Yeah. So, uh, when I first started work on my my new book, Becoming a Better Boss, uh, I thought I was going to write a book, sort of exploring what good management looks like. Um, but it turned out that that actually wasn't a big mystery. Uh, and I and I was doing some reading, and I was doing some research, and I was uh, I was talking to people, uh, and it became clear that actually the the basic attributes of good management if you try to understand it through the point of view of the person being managed uh, those attributes are actually quite straightforward i mean i'll just describe them for you in in sort of four simple bullet points one is a good manager sets a clear sense of direction gives a sense of what has to be achieved uh, a good manager provides a lot of space for the employee to essentially figure out for themselves how to do their job. The vast majority of employees actually want a little bit of freedom in figuring out uh, how to do their work. Uh, a good manager provides support and help when needed. Sometimes that's about providing resources. Sometimes it's about a little bit of coaching and mentoring. And then finally, a good manager essentially provides recognition and praise and, and, and to some degree, uh, you know, constructive criticism after a piece of work has been done. So put those four things together, you've got a fairly simple characterization of what good management looks like. And I discovered that everybody pretty much agrees on that, so that the book actually became not a study of what good management looks like, but why is there such a gap between what we can all agree a good manager does and what we actually see happening on a day-to-day -day basis in most workplaces. Hmm. And, and at the root of that, I mean, there's a lot in the nature of the organization, how it's structured, et cetera. But what is it that, that makes it so difficult to, to do all those four things and to be uh, successful in those different elements? Yeah. So and this really is the heart of the book is to say, or at least the, the sort of platform on which the book is built is to say, look, when you ask people, why don't you do what you know you should be doing? Uh, you'll often get a sort of a, a defensive, well, I'm too busy kind of answer. But that's a that's a pretty lame answer, quite honestly, because an awful lot of good management is actually about delegating, which is about, of course, freeing up your time rather than taking more of your time. So, so it turns out that a great deal of the problem is down to both the kind of the situational context in which you work. In other words, you know, you can be a good manager with every individual person who, who's working for you, but because you are being put in so many different directions, it's actually quite hard to construct a, a helpful, shall we say, working environment for everybody because everyone has slightly different needs. So that's one set of reasons. And then the other set of reasons why it's so difficult is that actually it is uh, an unnatural act to many people. That's not my phrase. I think Henry Mintzberg coined it first. But it turns out that to be a good manager, you've got to learn to, to let go. You've got to learn to give credit to others. And of course, for many, many people, they work their way up through the ranks by taking control of themselves, by being really good at their job. And it's very difficult to suddenly get into a place where you've got to start doing almost the exact opposite of what it, it was that got you to where you are. So for me, management is a just, it's a learned skill. It's like learning to play golf. You can write down a list of 
the 10 things that a good golfer should do. You can write down a list of the four or five or six things that a good manager should do. But for that individual to actually do all of those things together at the same time takes a great deal of, of trial and error and quite a lot of coaching and feedback along the way. Now, I, I totally agree, and I think it's such a, an interesting shift. You know, I, I love that you pointed out that people get through the ranks and usually to the management level by being a great individual contributor, right, and by doing good work individually, and then they become put over a group of people and say, get get the best work out of these people, which involves not doing it yourself. And too often, I think that the knee-jerk reaction is to say, okay, well, I'll just roll up my sleeves and dig in there and do it. And you might, in the short term, get the, the good result, but in the long term, it's kind of devastating because you're taking that that self-efficacy away from people and communicating that you're not doing it right. Yeah, no, that, look, that, that's exactly right. And, um, and, and to some degree, I think you know, I mean, I'm a manager as well. I mean, we, we, we catch ourselves doing this stuff, and yet it's actually really hard to pull back and say, you know, even if I can, even if this person can do the job 70% of me as well as me, I am still very kind of reluctant to let them do it. And it takes a lot of effort to, to let go and, and give somebody else that responsibility. Hmm, yeah. And I, I love, I should add too in the book, the one thing that I really loved was the breaking down of this kind of what is good management, what does management entail to the four different um, four different dimensions, the four different uh, aspects of the model. What I really like about it is that in addition to addressing sort of why management is so difficult, you, you actually sort of say, here are the things if you're already a good manager that are on the horizon that are changing, the role of management is going to change. Tell me a little bit about what you see the, the future of management being like. Yeah, so gosh, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot here, but let me just pick up on a couple of the big themes. So, you know, historically, management has been has been about uh, marshalling resources, pulling together the necessary resources to get work done, and and in doing that, of course, you, the manager, uh, were the kind of the main conduit. You were the main kind of place through which all of the information flowed. Now, of course, increasingly, technology is is changing. Uh, the way that information is distributed around organizations. I mean, you, you, you just look on any any sort of um, uh, you know blogging site or any sort of um, corporate intranet, and, and 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 there's information flying around about all the stuff that's happening. Uh, and for you as a manager, it means you are no longer in complete control of of, of, this, of the various different sources of information. So what does that mean? Well, th- the bad news, as it were, is that you can no longer use that as your source as your sort of kind of uh, source of status or, or sort of differentiation. The good news is that what that means is that actually a lot of your time that used to be spent simply just being the, the, the conduit for information is freed up. And you can do some of the more important things that managers actually do, which, of course, is about developing people, trying to help them make connections, trying to ensure that they can actually get their, their work done. So the big transition that we're in the middle of, I would argue, is that as information becomes more ubiquitous, uh, as people get access to information, they need to do their jobs as as greater transparency, if you like, around what happens in companies becomes prevalent. The the job of the manager has to become much less focused on task and information and much more focused on people. And, And indeed, if that means that some managers have to, shall we say, almost work their way out of a job and accept that there is no longer a role for them. That is a, a good thing in the scheme of the organization. You've still got to think through the implications of how you do that as an individual level. But arguably, 
organizations of the future will need simply fewer managers and the ones they need will have to have rather different skills, much more people-based skills. You know, it's interesting as you were saying that I, I was thinking about you know, your your day job is as a professor, my day job is as a professor, and I think that information shift is actually even causing a, a shift in how management education works in the sense that it's not about imparting information, controlling information. It, it's much more about coming alongside people in a guided discovery sort of format and, and almost working not, – not working yourself out of a, a job by any means, but almost saying you know, the, the role of me as a sage is far less important than as someone that's walking alongside you helping you discover these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and, and indeed, as you say, I mean if you, come, if you go in with the philosophy of, of, of working yourself out of a job, actually almost, almost never does it come down to that because what you discover is that the more, shall we say, uh, you let people figure things out for themselves, the more the jobs they do themselves – the more you can add value in, in, in sort of novel, but ultimately very, very useful ways. And, and, and as I say, as, as a professor, what it means is that we, we get more involved in helping people to interpret the information that they've picked up. You know, if you're a manager, what it means is you are, you are helping, if you're doing your job right, you are helping people to, 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 to figure out how to solve problems, to figure out how to develop themselves as a person to figure out how to do some of the more creative and, and challenging things uh, that help organizations to become you know, more agile and more adaptive. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, this is uh, it's interesting to hear it, especially from you, as it's, it's one thing to know what's on the future of, of management, what's in the future of management education. It's a whole other thing to be a part of shaping that future. And that's one thing I've really, really enjoyed in some of your, your past work, even before the book, in, in working with Gary Hamill and setting up the Management Innovation Lab, which was sort of the precursor to the Management Innovation Exchange, the mix, which a lot of people might be familiar with. But tell me a little bit about how that project gets started and yeah, where you see sure. it going. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I, Gary, Gary Gary's been involved with the London Business School for well for longer than I have, so I, I got to know him probably about 10 years ago, uh, and we came up with this notion we called it the Management Innovation Lab, which had uh, two, two guiding kind of premises. One was that we thought companies should should start to think, shall we say, as as creatively about the ways that it works as, as they sometimes do about their products or services. Why shouldn't we be innovative in in the work of management, just as we do, we are innovative in, in the products and technologies we sell. So that was kind of premise number one. And premise number two was that we shouldn't just, so we say, observe companies doing this stuff. We should actually seek to work with them to help them to, to actually try out new ways of working. Hence, the, the, the lab concept was, was this notion that we would create almost like a set of experiments going on inside companies around new ways of allocating resources, new ways of making decisions, new ways of motivating employees. And so for three or four years, we, we, we ran a whole bunch of, of experiments with various companies trying to help them to, to come up with new and better ways of working. You know, it was partially successful and partially quite frustrating. Uh, and, and I think that's why the whole thing gradually morphed into what is now the Management Innovation Exchange which is led by Gary and is very much about getting companies, people from around the world to share their own experiences of trying to change management on the basis that you've got to create some sort of mass movement here rather than just doing it in a, in a, in a, in a, in a laboratory setting. So that's what the mix is, is all about. And I don't know how many of the listeners will have been on it, but it really is quite impressive the amount of stuff on it now in terms of stories and hacks and, and, and competitions, you know, really just purely through voluntary basis. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful uh, dialogue about where the future of management is going, but also how to be a, a good manager now. And, you know, no matter what, what the future holds for management as a profession, management as a counterpart to leadership, being a good manager now is still the most important. It will better prepare you for being a good manager in the future. And so it's one of the reasons I really, really loved the new book, Becoming a Better Boss. But if it's okay, I'd like to shift a little bit from the book and a little bit to you and ask you a couple questions. The first, what are you reading right now? What am I reading right now? Well, there's a, there's a question. Um, well, I'm actually got, fortunately, I've got my list of books sitting here. Uh, I've been reading um, Nate Silver's Signal and the Noise. I'm sure that's, that's a bestseller, so I'm sure many readers will have, will have come across that one. Uh, and it's a terrific guide to how bad we are at predicting things and how best we can try to become, how we can become better at that. Um, and then I've got actually the book of a, of a colleague. His name is Nigel Nicholson. And it's a book called The Eye of Leadership, I, capital I. And it's, it's, it's quite an interesting kind of voyage into, into what it means to be a leader as, as, a, as an individual. So there's, those are two. I'm also reading up a great deal now on emotion and intuition, because my thinking here is that the, kind of the, the next big leap forward in terms of how we understand what makes organizations tick is to try to get beyond the kind of the, the rational judgmental view and to try to tap a little bit more and more effectively into human emotion and human intuition because we don't understand that stuff and yet to pretend it doesn't exist is, is nonsense as well so that's that's a direction I'm, I'm personally kind of interested in exploring yeah, no, and and that's interesting because my, my next question was, uh, what's next for you? What are you looking at? And I think the intuition one is a fascinating one because as, as much as we champion the idea of evidence-based leadership, evidence-based management, until it becomes second nature and habit, most managers are still making decisions awfully quickly and relying on intuition and past patterns and almost mental muscle memory, as it were, to guide them. Yeah, I mean, let me just um, sort of finish the thought there in terms of what I'm working on. I mean, it does seem to me that we have to start thinking through what uh, what the sources of competitive advantage for companies are when information is ubiquitous and, and even the knowledge that we need to bring to bear to solve problems is widely held. Uh, because if you think about it, the last 40 or 50 years, go back to Peter Drucker in the 60s, we've had this notion that somehow a, a knowledge-based view of the firm is is this is the basis of competitive advantage but just as you know labor and capital sort of ran their course in terms of, of of the basis of competitive advantage in the first half of the 20th century i think you could argue that you know the knowledge information era is is reaching a stage of maturity where companies can no longer expect to get real advantage out of that stuff uh, and then you say well what's next and and for me well you know something a little bit challenging around getting our heads around intuition and, and, and emotion and, and, and emotional beliefs has the potential to be to be very important. We'll be looking for that in the future. In the meantime, though, if you want to be prepared, if you want to be more intuitive, also if you want to be prepared for where the future of management is going, it starts with becoming a better boss now. And so to that effect, Julian has written a wonderful book, ironically titled Becoming a Better Boss. Julian, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. You're most welcome. Thanks. 